Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, it's been a really long journey, uh, covering every last little thing that we can that came out for 2021. And from the looks of it, this will be the last uh, in that very long series. Uh, I thought maybe Neutrals was going to be a two-parter, but as I was doing the screenshots of everything to talk about, uh, it just there just wasn't enough content to make two episodes unless they were only going to be like 40 minutes each, maybe an hour each if we like fluffed them up, but kind of excited to also move on to different topics. So um, with that said, of course, it's a neutral episode and who better to have on than uh, Justin. Thank you for coming on. No problem. I like being here. So, uh, even though there wasn't a ton to talk about, we'll jump right into it because, you know, last thing I want to do is, you know, underestimate the amount that we'll talk about this stuff and, uh, you know, and have it being longer than, than expected. So uh, first thing that we'll talk about tonight is the Hedge Knights. Now, I do want to say with this unit, I can't remember if we talked about them or not, uh, but I've you know, we've talked about so much stuff that I can't remember, and just to be on the safe side, I'm throwing them in the mix uh, for something that we talk about. So with the Hedge Knights, they are seven points. They have a five move, a four up defense, seven up morale. Their attack profile is three up to hit, seven four. They have the Calvary innate ability. They have the Knight's Blade, which gives them Sundering all the time. And if you control the combat zone uh, before rolling dice, the defender becomes vulnerable. And then they have the loyalty through coin. So if you have the wealth zone, they'll get plus one defense and plus one morale. So with that said, we're talking strictly from a neutral perspective because these guys in Baratheons could be pretty cool with with Alistair being allowed to help you get those zones whenever you needed them. But from a neutral perspective, uh, you still have – we'll talk about them in a minute, but we still have uh, Peter Baelish will help you – guarantee possibly both zones at least one round in the whole game but you know you could always uh you know still get multiple but you're guaranteed at least one of these effects uh in a uh, perfect scenario though you're spending seven points to make these guys uh be a three up six up that has sundering and um makes you vulnerable after every uh attack now the vulnerable is really nice but because you have sundering the vulnerable just kind of compounds that ability i think uh the loyalty through coin is in my opinion the by uh by far the better effect so knowing that um i think will help you kind of maximize these guys um justin what do you think about these guys have you gotten a chance to play them as a unit yet so i haven't been playing them as a unit simply because I've been trying to get uh, more practice playing more bolt-and-heavy armies and using Flademan and stuff like that, because I don't play as much as I would like to currently. Um, I like these guys a lot. I actually just got my third unit of them uh, at the last tournaments, because I have (laughs) a plan to use four of them. I don't know if it's a good plan, but it seems like a good plan. Maybe like them at seven points means you can make them into 
a Flayed Men costed unit by throwing that Glory Seeker in there and just get tons of healing across the board. Uh, with having so many of them, it in, it gives you such a good reason to chase those spots more. And like you said, with Peter, they can't deny both of the spots. Uh, and they hit pretty much just as hard as Flayed Men, and I think it might work even better than Flayed Men because lately... Uh, I've been having a lot of problems with uh, very morale good armies, so a lot of my vicious and intimidating presence damage just isn't going through. So instead of having to rely on like that, that random chance that I might get it through or that hoping my opponent brings an average to bad morale army, this is more with Sundering, it's more guaranteed damage. Yeah, they won't have crit, but uh, you're saving that extra point and getting the healing on top of it. Uh, and then when you have the money, which you can easily get, as you said, every single round, except if your opponent denies you, then you peter it up and you just get it. And they're as hard to kill as Flayedman. So it's, I think these guys are actually really good. And I'm pretty excited to use them. Yeah, and if you if you play it out just right, you can uh, almost guarantee yourself uh, both zones at least two of the rounds. Um, you know, you, you let your opponent go first, first round. That way, second round, you can peter onto the bags to, like, get a free shot with some Bastard Scrolls or something or a ranged unit, whether it be, like, uh, Stormcrow uh, archers. Um, and if they have no way to actually take the free attack and use it, they either have to block it from you or just let you then end up taking it, which you could then take another free attack with that ranged unit with your other NCU. And now, before even charging into combat, your hedge knights are all, you know, with all of their, you know, glory. You know, they're having all of that, all those compounded uh, abilities. Yeah, um, I totally Yeah, agree. I think hedge knights are awesome. Um, you know, great models, too. Uh, I think it really, the way they've modeled them has really captured what hedge knights really are, uh, you know, their shields are all battered, you know, they're kind of these makeshift, you know, knights and, you know, uh, and they're just their abilities too. really, I think compounds, you know, the, the, I absolutely love this unit. I definitely want to try this unit out more in my great joys, but I've just been kind of on this like no neutral units for my great joys, uh, lately, but I definitely want to try them out because both of those zones are, you know, right up uh, Greyjoy's alley. Um, next up, we're going to talk about the Bloody Mummer Zorse Riders. Uh, just because they were changed slightly, um, I am going to pull it up real quick here just so we can have it for reference. But I think it might just be the one ability that changed. But just in case, I want to uh, go back and take a look here. No, they um, they lost the die too. Oh, did they? So they lost two dice essentially if you factor the ability. I guess kind of. No, they still were... the ability still gets the die. Never mind. Um, I think they were seven five before. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, and so. Uh, yeah, if I'm correct, the only thing that changed was the Motley Armaments is it used to be you always got one, and then if you're in the flank or or rear, you got the other, or you got both. Um, now it's 
you get one if you're in the flank, both if you're in the rear. I think that would have been fine if their attack profile stayed the same as the 7.5. They went from, like, super before to where, like, I was running them in most factions uh, as the supplement for my cavalry unit to now I struggle to run them because a lot of times you might not ever get that rear or flank charge, meaning that six dice at full ranks is just, it's not very impactful in my opinion. So it really wants you to get them in the flank at minimum. And even then, I mean, I would still argue to say that it just makes them okay if you have one of those abilities. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, how about you, Justin? What do you think? So, um, I I don't understand why they changed that rear and flank thing. I thought they were perfectly fine as is. I didn't think they were really good, only because I think all the their whole stat line was good, except the moment they got attacked by anything, they lost a rank pretty much. Which that was the counter to them. They were they were easy to deal with, should you need to, and um. They were, I feel like they were nerfed because people were like, oh, this is such a counter to certain things like Harden on Stagnite, stuff like that. But those were pretty like unique situations in which they were hard counters. It's not something you're going to run into every battle. Uh, a savvy opponent can play around because even at what they were, you weren't bringing two of these. I would dare you to bring two of these before because they're very light cavalry and they're still seven points. It's devastating to lose seven points very easily. They're uh, the easiest unit pretty much in the game to kill with the exception of like, I don't know, raiders maybe um, and trappers. So I don't know why they took both a dice away and changed the motley armaments, especially because every other unit that deals with like rank and fleer, rank and fleer, flank and rear, <laughs> uh, every other unit that deals with those got the buff to where it affects both the like, kind of the opposite with halberdiers they only affected the front before and now they affect the front and the flank so it's kind of like the opposite of what they did here to me uh elusive escape is just an extra thing but nobody really cares too much about that unless like well in a neutral faction i should say because like you're already probably heavy heavily outnumbered and as often i mean i do take the maneuver zone but it's not a zone that i'm like really looking for it's just when the opportunity arises and i need to take it i'll take it so getting a free retreat like that's pretty much the only time you're going to do that otherwise you're wasting an entire round of attacking yeah you would need like a commander like rob for example that gives you like additional free ways to disengage. retreat yep exactly and maybe that's they might have been changed with something like that in mind but i don't know even at their best, they weren't devastating, you know? Like, I don't mind them losing the attack die. I think that would have probably been appropriate so they weren't swinging with eight dice when they charged into a flank. But, yeah, right now, if you don't get a flank or a rear, this is, like, the worst attacking unit in the game. <laughs> it's six dice. Well, Without... yeah, dice amount, but uh, but easily the worst at seven points. They're, they're definitely yeah. a more support unit. But I think uh, a perfect balance would have actually been maybe keep their dice at that 7-5 and then keep the ability to be, you know, 
you always get one of the effects, but change that plus one die and critical blow to just be critical blow. That way, you know, you can still yeah. get one automatically, and but you're not having eight dice on a three with three rolls of critical blow. You'll just be at seven dice hitting on threes. Critical blow Here's the thing. Um, with this unit, too, like that, that second ability, the turning off abilities, I, I mentioned that it was very situational, and it is for two reasons. Not all units care about their abilities being turned off when they get attacked. Very few do, I would say, only defensive units. Even, like, if you attack wardens, does nothing. Like, any five-point unit you attack basically has no defensive abilities that can be turned off. Uh, and then you're probably not outnumbering them with a seven-point cavalry unit. Uh, so they're going to take their activation and turn to face you, and then you lose all abilities. Yep. So you and really only get it generally on your attack charge. Well, and not only that, you know, and the important thing to note is that it's it's only for the turn, and it's only activated when attacking, meaning it's only going to turn off defensive effects for the turn in which they attack. So it's not like these guys stick on you and then shut off your all your abilities all the time as long as they're engaged or whatever. So yeah. it was just a nice counter to some of the super strong defensive abilities, which I think is would be a nice healthy balance. But knowing that you have to get in the flank, you know, it's really tough, especially, you know, for some factions. Uh, you know, that makes it, you know, in some factions, it's near impossible, especially if you're facing other factions. Like, uh, if you're, let's say, neutrals who have no cheap activation, and you're facing Greyjoy or Free Folk, you're just auto almost automatically going to be down activations on them, even on the field, let alone the tactics board. And it almost all but guarantees that this unit will never see a flank until maybe the end of the game. And even, like... Even if, like, let's say you attack Stagnites in the flank and you turn off Hardened, right? You're still only swinging with six dice hitting on three. There's a very good chance, even with three rolls, you're only getting five attacks through. And with a five-up defensive, like, like, even if they fail them all, they're only taking five wounds. Your entire seven-point unit, getting a flank charge on something, did a whole five wounds. Maybe six if you're lucky. And if they're, you know, the, if you're on the flank, it means their morale is still a six. Yeah, so, so odds are they're not failing. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I I absolutely love this unit, the whole, like, idea behind them. I just think, I think they were just amazingly strong before at seven, and now they're, you know, they kind of went a little too far with the, the change. Um, yeah. You know, I think, like I said before, just give them their attack dice back. Um, maybe take out that plus one for critical blow. I think even just giving out, even if you kept the dice as it is with six four, and then just change this be um, you always get one, and then you get two if you're rear or flank, the way it was before. That way, if you choose the critical blow, you can get that plus one and make it seven five. Even I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think even just a minor tweak would put them right back in the running. Uh, yeah, and like you said, is, I like the design of this unit. It's unique. It's like almost necessary for the balance of the game, especially considering every yeah. faction can take it with the exception of Free Folk. It, it, is, it is very important 
as a unit because it'll change tournament metas up because people will plan to maybe run into this unit or people will plan to use this unit to counter major issues. Yep. Um, but with that said, I do want to point out one cool combo with the unit, as is if they, let's say, don't end up changing. Uh, run him in some target, this unit, some Targaryens with Jorah uh, Commander. Fainting Maneuver to let you uh, charge the uh, front and get into the flank automatically, or if you charge the flank and auto get to the rear, can really help you turn this unit back into something really good. Now, of course, the downside of that is you have to draw that card, but uh, it's still something to think about for you know Targaryen players out there. Um, let's see. Next up, we have uh, the three Stormcrow units, which uh, were none of the Stormcrow units were revealed in the Flames, which I thought was interesting. So the first one we'll talk about uh, is the Stormcrow Dervishes. So they have a six move, a four up defense, seven up morale. They hit on three, seven, six, four. Uh, they have the ambush, which is enemies. This unit successfully charges in the flank or rear, become panicked and weakened. They have swift strike. After this attack is completed, this unit may perform one retreat action and motivated by coin. Each time a friendly NCU claims the wealth, you may price, replace that zone's effect with one Stormcrow Dervish unit performs one attack action. And uh, now that I'm uh, or no, never mind. It says Stormcrow Dervish. Anyways, um, they are seven. Yeah, they're seven points. So uh, I'll let you start this one off, uh, Justin. What do you think of the shooter here? There was a point as they were coming out where I was really excited to use these in the old rules. Um, I don't like seeing a seven-point infantry unit have a 7-up morale. It's such a weakness, especially considering their defense is not bad. I mean, it's a 4. It's nothing to shirk at, but like these guys don't have a ton going for them. I think motivated by coin is what seals the deal on me not liking them, though, because that completely runs into the problem that motivated by coin has always had. You can't like successfully run. I mean, maybe maybe that's not to say you can't successfully run, but play a Stormcrow army, you are at an innate disadvantage because you've lost the ability to use an ability on a lot of your units because it's something that can be used at most once per turn. And everything except the archers is going to have this motivated by coin. And you can never use it more than once. And none of these things that can use motivated by coin even hit that hard. There's seven dice hitting on fours or seven dice hitting on threes with no abilities. That's, that's all you got going for you. I despise what motivated my coin is right now. I don't want a free attack from it. I wish it would change to something else that was usable as a Stormcrow army because I would like to use Stormcrows. I really like the way uh, archers are right now, and mercenaries have fit into a role more appropriate lately, I think. But mm, dervishes at seven points, I don't. I don't think I could really see myself using these guys. They're they're infantry, so right now or always, you always see cavalry on the field. Sure, they're a six-inch movement infantry, but cavalry still outrun them, and you're probably not getting the flank on things that you want to get the flank on without getting charged in the flank or the rear yourself. And these guys getting charged in the flank or the rear is not good. So I don't know. I I love the models. They're really like big, which is surprising. Um. <laughs> I like the idea of them, but I don't – they don't work in my eyes. 
Yeah, I mean, they. Ex- I feel like they definitely don't work in the neutral faction. They just don't have really the support needed, I think. Um, they don't have the... Because there's some outliers uh, in the game that can really take these guys and make them amazing. But uh, in a neutral sense, like these guys don't really have a place. I think they would almost benefit way more if they went back to their initial six-up morale and then take away that motivated by coin and give them loyalty through coin. You know, because now you can make them a three-up defense and a five-up morale, and now you're you're talking. You know, you, now you're. I think you can really uh, make an argument for this unit being that seven points and used a lot more in a lot of different uh, scenarios. I I could I can totally get behind that. I think that's a really healthy point. Uh, I don't. Yeah, six morale just to start is where they should be. There's no reason they should be at a seven. And then, yeah, replace that with, with loyalty through coin, which is a fantastic ability. I have zero wrong, like zero problems with it. It fits the neutral faction and it makes a unit that I want to use. It's a fast defensive unit, which is pretty unique in the game. You're not going to see a six inch moving infantry with three up, five up. So that's pretty cool to like, think about. Yeah. And, you know, they would still lack, like, the offensive punch. You know, they, they hit on threes, which is, you know, needed, but, you know, but they don't have any, like you said, keywords. They don't have any ways to increase their dice outside of, like, some combos, but, like, them the them themselves. So I think, yeah, like, making them this defensive but fast uh, unit would be very unique and give them a much uh, more solid uh, role in the in the game. But as is, I was struggling to... I'd run them here and there uh, when they had a six-up morale and only in certain scenarios. Like, you know, the combo still technically exists because they have um, Swift Strike. If you can play uh, set for charge, you attack first and then retreat and then your opponent can't attack you, which I think is a little silly, but it is still one way to possibly make um, this unit be worth it. But really, I think there's only just Blackfish is the only one that has it as a card, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah. Everyone else, it's all part of a unit, and obviously that wouldn't combo with this. But anyway, so the only way, like, you could really compound it by, you know, having Sansa, that way you could possibly use set for this combo four times you know you use it use sansa to grab it back and then use sansa to grab it back use your fourth or your second copy as the fourth time i don't know but i feel like the amount of useful uh, scenarios with them is very limited uh, as is because there's just so many good seven point options that these guys just kind of feel out of place they don't feel like they have a role that you know, that they uh, are, you know, seem more useful than other seven-pointers. Let's see. So next up, we'll talk about the Stormcrow Archers. They are a six-point unit, which has a five-up move, uh, a five-move, a five-up defense, and a seven-up morale. Their ranged attack is long, hitting on fours with seven, six, four. Their melee attack is five, five up uh, with five, four, three. They have the mercenaries longbow special rule for their 
range attack only. While you control the wealth, you, the unit gains thundering. While you control the letters, you can reroll, or no, sorry, while you control the letters uh, before rerolling attack dice, the defender becomes vulnerable. While you control the combat zone, you can reroll any attack dice. So um, I think a solid unit. They no longer have adaptive, which is important to note, because uh, they had it before, I believe, um, them and mercenaries. But now they don't have that. But I think they're they're really strong at six points. I think they're a nice, you know, strong unit that's not too strong that you're going to see them in every single list. But I think uh, factions that want that wealth zone, that combat zone, and the letter, uh, you know, and that are possibly running three NCUs are really going to love these guys. Uh, Justin, what do you think? I know you you got Bastards Girls, so I mean yeah. Bastards Girls are a little different role, but uh, that's that their statement right there is the only reason I don't run these guys. <laughs> Literally the whole reason, because I like pretty much everything about this unit. There's only one complaint I have, and it's not about the unit, uh, and it's not about the unit that I'm going to compare it to. It's about what makes sense, like logically, like. So Stark Bowman pissed me off because they hit on threes, and these guys hit on fours, so the trained mercenaries that have been doing this their whole lives are worse at shooting than the conscripted peasant bowmen. I don't really get it, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with that being said, I think they're... Like they're comparable to Stark Bowman because they're both long-range shooters at six points, uh, and they're both different enough and good enough where I would say that they're pretty evenly balanced. Like, yeah, Bowman hit on threes, but these guys can potentially get the rerolls, the vulnerable, the sundering. So, uh, and they have these guys have one better defense. I'm not sure if that matters between a five and a six <laughs> with <laughs> archers, but hey, it might help. Who knows? Um, so yeah, I I like these guys and. Damn bastards girls are the only reason I don't run them. <laughs> Although, um the way like Boltons work, you know, I want I want as many Bolton, if not all Bolton units going in there, and I'm not gonna attach Ramsey or Roos into to Stormcrow archers to make them into Boltons, so that doesn't help my situation. But I'm definitely gonna be playing these guys. I I don't even think there's anything that this unit needs to really change. I mean, get, losing that adaptive thingy majigger is a bummer because I liked putting lieutenants in them, but I think at Back a six-point unit... did range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this unit needs to stay the same as it is. Like, I think it's, I think it's really well-balanced. I think it's very creative. It is... Uh, I don't know. Even if you don't control a zone, seven dice isn't terrible, like worst-case scenario kind of thing. But, yeah, no, I think... You're always going to get one of those zones. There's no way for your opponent to stop all three unless you're just really dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> or, if you do that, you I'm know, sorry. They, um, and, you know, again, uh, Littlefinger with these guys would be amazing. You know, let's say you let, again, you let your pro- opponent go first, first round. You go first, second round. Your first action is just, okay, I'm going to choose to count as controlling the combat zone. Uh, and then you take Peter on the bag target the combat zone and now because you count as controlling the combat zone but you're actually controlling the wealth their shot from them is now seven dice hitting on fours with three rolls and sundering and then will continue to be throughout the whole round yeah and that's a free attack and now 
you can do it again at least one other time. And if your opponent doesn't take the combat zone, knowing that you already control it, you could get three shots with these guys with all three, oh, with both uh, effects. And who knows, you know, if you're run, if you're lucky enough and are able to get all three, I mean, that's just crazy good. Now, the chances of that is very slim, but you know, you never know. You know, especially if you know your opponent has an outflank person coming on, and they're gonna have to take that maneuver zone. You could really like make sure that you get uh, a bunch of these zones. There is one so. potential issue with um, with them playing in a neutral deck, and it's not necessarily an issue, but there. Are, there's two cards that will never benefit this unit, which is kind of a shame. Planning and Insight, and there's um, uh, Spoils of War. Spoils of War could potentially affect these guys, but it's very unlikely. So you are... And that's not just these guys. That's any long-range unit that can't really fight in melee. So Bastard Girls being unique, don't care about that. But uh, it, it hurts any type of range unit the way that the deck is built. So neutrals will probably have the least amount of range units. Ever, always. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, another thing, though, to point out, which would make this unit really good, too, on the turn that you do that, if you have issue commands and get another shot with them, because uh, it can be any attack, correct? Not just a melee for issue commands? Uh, yeah, it's a attacker charge. So um, that would be something pretty cool. Uh getting possibly four shots if, let's say, again, you take the wealth, target the combat while already controlling the combat. If your opponent can't or doesn't take the combat, you take that again. That's two. You issue commands for three, and then you activate for four. I mean, four shots with these guys with re-rolls, hitting on fours with uh, seven dice and sundering. I mean, you're going to really be putting a dent in your opponent. Um, Hopefully. All right. <laughs> All right, hopefully, yeah. And then you do have, don't you still have a card that lets you go get a card? So you could potentially issue commands over and over with these guys over not you know, in the same round, round but yeah, every round. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely a solid unit. I think Simon did a great job. Uh, and then the last uh, Stormcrow unit is the Mercenaries. They are five points with adaptive so essentially a four point unit just requiring you to get a, a one point attachment with them they have a five move a four up to hit with seven five four they have a four up defense seven up morale they have their only ability is motivated by coin now i think these guys are um a nice unit uh they're nothing spectacular and it really depends on your faction. Um, I think from a neutral span standpoint, they are not very good. And it's only because combinations that other factions do with being able to take that one point um, attachment. Now, I forget if I mentioned it on this show, but I think an awesome thing that would happen for the neutral faction is simply come out with like a attachment box with like five attachments, you know, two models in each. And those five generic attachments just be one point each and be neutrals only. Like you don't have to give neutrals their own units, their own commanders, their own NCUs. If you just came out with attachments, 
that were neutrals only and just generic ones too. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even have to deny people like named characters. And I think that would do a ton for the faction. Uh what's your thoughts, uh, Justin? On that specifically? Like that idea or uh, just that, in, that and, the, and the unit. Series. So yeah. I like uh so I I tried them a lot before with the old rule set. And they never worked for me because there was nothing that really made them shine. And that hasn't changed because the unit hasn't changed. However, the unit's a little more solid now because a lot of damage has been dialed back generally throughout the game. So that does kind of help them fit into a place that they're required. The thing that There's two things that set them back. Well, maybe three. I don't have any good attachments for these fools. Maybe like some decent ones, but nothing that really shines. Uh, I, they don't, Dario just, his commander cards are a little bit lacking, which is unfortunate, and his commander itself isn't wonderful. And then, motivated by coin. God, that ability. (laughs) (laughs) And those three things set them back. But, like, as far as the stat line goes and, like, how they work, like, they're really comparable to Cutthroats, uh, well, especially now. Uh, they're the same thing with just more defense and an attachment option. But I don't have any, like, solid attachments to put them in. Stormcore Lieutenant's the best, and that gives them Sundering and hitting on their highest attack dice if I get that zone, which not always going to happen. So, I don't know. Um, I like them. They just don't work in neutrals. Like, many neutral things don't work. It, neutrals fall into such a weird category so often. It's a shame. Yeah, and... Yeah, just like you were saying, motivated by coin is such like in a vacuum. It's such an awesome ability, you know. It, uh, for example, other factions. Let's say if you want to run brawn attachment, or let's say in Greyjoy's run newt attachment, you know, having that motivated by coin is can be like a game changer. But having it on a unit and on a unit that you want to run a bunch of, especially if you're going Stormcrow themed, just almost seems like a wasted ability because you're only, like you've mentioned before, only ever getting it once around if you even get it. Um, so, and on a unit, just hitting with four dice, and, uh, or sorry, four up on with seven dice, and with the very limited uh, pool that the neutrals even have. But, um, these guys definitely have their place in other factions. Uh, funny enough, I really, I mean, we talked about it with the Stark, uh, over, or Stark 2021 episodes, but I really don't care for Stark Sworn Swords. Uh, so much so that I think these guys, with any one point uh, Stark attachment, is hands down better than the uh, Sworn Swords with no attachment. Because then you just ask yourself, would you trade, because uh, I believe they have the same move, same defense, same attack profile. Uh, the only difference is Sworn Swords have one better morale and Stark Fury, which uh, is like the same trigger as a ton of other things. Whereas uh, with the Mercenaries, you get motivated by coin and any effect of any one-point attachment you can think of. Uh, and you know, it, it's just, in my opinion, hands down, easy choice. Uh, so mercenaries definitely have their place in certain factions. But 
if you want to go all Storm Crow mercenary or all Storm Crow themed, uh, the motivated motivated by coin doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think it would make a lot more sense if they just had like a generic Storm Crow whatever attachment one point give motivated by coin. That way, if you wanted multiple instances of it, you could pay for it, and then change their ability to be you know, something more universal. Like, it still could revolve around if you control the wealth zone, they get whatever effect. But at least if you can take the wealth zone, it will compound with all of the Stormcrow uh, mercenaries that you have. Whether it be something simple as plus one morale, or, you know, it could be like plus one move, plus one morale. So I, know I could understand how making them a three-up defense might be a little crazy uh, for a five-point unit, uh, because that attachment would you know, with the attachment they get is free. But uh I don't know. I think uh I think something more universal would be way better for them. All right. Uh going into NCUs, the first one we'll talk about is Jack and Hagar. Now um I'll read through his ability just because, but the only reason we're covering him and our next NCU is because they both were revealed as four pointers, um, but are now five points when they got uh, released, like officially, well, semi-officially. So Jack and Gar is now a five point NCU. As choosing a name, each time Jack and activates, he may replace his influence ability with the influence ability of any friendly or enemy NCU until the end of the round, or he has a name given. He is his own influence, which then can uh, attach to a combat unit to the end of the round while influencing a friendly one. Uh, its melee attacks gain precision. I want to say I I find it funny, you know, uh, and I I just curious if maybe how much you know I had kind of complained that he was only four points had any uh, factor in and them changing it to five points, but I have to say it definitely makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, especially if you have six-point influence uh, NCUs, you know, and a handful of five-point NCUs that influence. It only makes sense that if you want to double up on an influence, that you should have to pay at least equal, if not more. Now, six points, I would say, is a little too much for him. I think if you're going to run a six-point NCU that has an influence, then you want to run him at five points. By all means, that's 11 points for two NCUs. One point more, and you could easily have ran four, uh, three four-point NCUs. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, he's amazing at five points, or, like, still amazing at five points, but really fair. Um, now, just I'll let you... Uh, Take it away. I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I should start with this guy is absolutely worth five points. And then I'm going to follow it up with except in neutrals. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he is not even close to being worth five points. He would be very questionable at four points uh, because the only reliable thing I have, if I were to use him, is I'm paying five points for precision, which coincidentally I actually have a lot of access to. <laughs> um, that is not even close to worth five points and even if you were four points it wouldn't be worth paying four points for I am relying on my enemy to bring influence and if they do then yes he would be worth his point but that's not good enough like his extra ability or even copying an influence is not worth the risk whatsoever in paying his points which kind of is a bummer because i never really used him before because he wasn't worth it and i'm not really using him now and i don't have a ton of access 
to a variety of NCUs. So I'm kind of stuck within like three and a half NCUs, half for a reason. Um, and I would like to use him, but my God, is it not worth the risk? But however, he's so good in other armies. He's so good in like every other army. <laughs> um, I, I I really can't think of another army that he doesn't like excel in, in my opinion. And he's absolutely worth his five points. And that is the inherent problem with neutrals. They're too. It would be even. Cool. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, it'd be cool, like, if they come out with another NCU, because I understand, like, it being neutral, they might, they have to be careful, but they could even, like, make it neutral without making it neutral uh, only, in the sense that it'd be, like, uh, influence uh, a Bolton Stormcrow or Bloody Mummer combat unit. So, like, you could still run, and then it would do yada yada effect, but it would be an influence. Um so you could still run it in other factions if you run one of those three units in your faction and then hope that they don't die and then you have no one to influence. But uh, it would be geared towards neutrals in the sense that you would have plenty of options and you would then now have Jacken who could um, copy. But go ahead with what you're saying. Hmm. Oh, and that's the inherent problem with neutrals is the, the fact that everyone can take 50% of their army as neutrals, and I think that's that could be curved down to really allow neutral units to, to shine a little more as neutrals. And I know a lot of people probably see neutrals, well, you know, it's really just a mercenaries for other factions, but I've been playing it since the beginning, and to me, it's it's my army. It's not It's not supplements for other factions for me, which I know it is for some, and that's totally fine, but for me, it is the only army that I really want to be good with. Uh, and so I'm always at this like handicap because a lot of my stuff's worthless in my army. I'm really stuck with very specific things, which is fine. But I think, man, if, if it got dialed down to like 25% of an army, so many problems would be fixed with neutrals um, or at least allow them a little more room to make things where they'd be sitting in a more appropriate situation because, and with Jockin, I, I just, I don't see them releasing a, a influence NCU because every faction will have access to it, and it's. I can only imagine that's very hard to balance for every faction. Someone's gonna see, like someone's gonna know that that whatever the influence is, it's just gonna be ridiculous in some other army. So he'll never really at what he's built with. I think shine in neutrals, unless I'm wrong and they come out with a dope influence unit. I just. I don't see it happening, but I could be wrong because I know very little in the grand scheme of things. I think one uh, well, one alternative to the instead of going like 50% down to 25% would maybe even just be limit uh, a max of any one unit. So like you can oh, still run yeah. 50%, but now you can't run double flayed men. You know, you can't, you'd actually have to diver, uh, diversify. You couldn't run like three mercenary, Stormcrow mercenary units. Uh, because the importance I think of that would be for the people who, let's say, love Roos Commander. So if you did it only 25%, you really wouldn't be able to run that many Bolton units. But if you limited to one, you could still run a Blackguard, a, you know, uh, Cutthroat, and a Bastard Skrull. I think that's what that's 18 points right there um 
you know, you could still have all these bolt-in units, but you won't be able to just, like, you know, go nuts with spamming, you know, the same unit over and over for neutrals to kind of exploit something of the neutral units that work too well with a certain faction. Yeah, I think that's actually a really, like, good idea. I think that's probably, thinking about it, the best possible, or one of the best possible ideas that I've ever heard for a neutral shakeup. Yeah, it, which would be nice, because, I mean, that still means you can run all the different NCUs you want, all the different named attachments, because obviously there's only one of each of those. Um, now, I would be okay with people being able to, like, run multiples of an atta like generic attachment, like Stormcrow Lieutenants or something, but uh, I think really where it comes down is the, the units, because um, I think, you know, Bastard Scrolls and or, like, Flademan can be some of the worst uh, culprits just because of how strong those units are, and then you're compounding how strong that unit is at face value with how many great combos other factions have with those units. Um, all right, next up we have Lord Varus. Again, he was already revealed, but he was revealed at four points. Uh, he is now five points. He has four order tokens. Each time an enemy NCU claims a zone, after resolving that zone's effect, you may remove one order token from Varus. If you do, gain the following based on that zone. Uh, Crown suffers one panic test. Wealth restores two wounds to one friendly unit. Combat zone, one enemy suffers three hits. Uh, mail, draw one taxes card, and maneuver, one friendly unit shifts three inches. Now, I want to say that I think he he's in that rough spot where I think he's either an amazing four-point unit or at five points he's just, like, he's okay. Um, and I think that's just because of the potential of what he can do. Uh but what's your what's your thoughts, Justin? I know you've run him a handful of times now. I have. Uh, I would like to start with saying that I absolutely love what he's changed to and like how it's designed. I think both players aren't going to have a bad time. And this was Varus has been probably the biggest negative play experience throughout the history of Ice and Fire, from what I can tell and what I think too. It was always one player was going to have a bad day. Uh, Either you fail or you succeed, and we've talked about that a ton. Now, that doesn't happen, because none of the tokens are going to be used to a devastating effect. They're all supplemental, and they're not crazy. You know, you're drawing a card, your opponent's like, okay, you draw a card. You heal two, okay, you heal two. You do a couple hits, okay, you did a couple hits. Uh, the problem is, he is not game-changing enough at five points, but just by the smallest margin. And it's, so it's not even a problem. Like, I think he's fine, but he's not he's outshined by a lot of other four-point NCUs, unfortunately. And if he were at four points, like, heck, I wouldn't... I would potentially pay four points for three tokens at what he does now, just because the five-point NCU, like, my building's already hard, uh, and him being five points really, like, pushes back what I can and can't do. So, I like everything about him, except I think he's just a tiny bit too expensive. That's That's it, and that's me griping at my like most extreme. I really think that they they put a lot of work into making this guy very uh, appropriate. 
Yep. I would almost even say maybe if if they're dead set on making five points, maybe give them five order tokens. That way, yeah, I think that would be fine too. You know, you're spending a point per because you have to remember that it's not like you can only use one token per round. You know, you can use it. You could essentially be done with him by the end of round two. (laughs) So, or even the beginning of round two if your opponent has three uh, NCUs. Technically, you'd so be think, done with that uh, at the end of round one. <laughs> can you? Yeah, four NCUs activate, you get four effects. It's not a good idea. But the enemy, the enemy would have to have four. Oh no, yeah, yeah, it's enemy. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you could do three. Well, that'd be kind of My bad. Crazy. If maybe that's what they could do. They could change it to be uh, friendly or what? enemy. <laughs> Leave them at four maybe. tokens. That way. You could be like, okay, Varus is going to take the well zone, heal three, remove a token, remove a, uh, an order token from him, heal two more, you know. And that's not unprecedented at all. Amon does the same kind of idea, you know, like, well, healing five is a little ridiculous. Amon's been doing it the whole time, and that's been fine. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's where I'll, I'll leave him, is that I think he's just an okay five point. Um, I think at four points, he'd be amazing. Uh, so I think maybe that's why they, because he's a neutral, they just on the air, aired on the side of caution and made him five points. Um, then the last uh, NCU we have to talk about is, and that's only because uh, Walder was already revealed and didn't change. Tycho did not change one bit. Uh, so that leaves us with Peter Baelish. He is still four points. He still has his ability that each time he claims a zone, he may replace that zone's effect with the effect of any unclaimed zone. But he now has, once per game, at the start of any turn, you may select one zone. Until the end of the round, you count as controlling that zone. Now, I want to say, he was already a, like a go-to for me at four points uh, before he had that once-per-game effect. Now, he's amazing. And with the fact that... Uh, 2021 has really kind of leaned into wanting to run a mixture of units, a type of units. So you'll want to run like one ranged unit, one cavalry unit, maybe more, but like a minimum. It like really encourages you to want to run, you know, a cavalry unit, a ranged unit, and some infantry units. And with that said, uh, and well, and uh, there's a bunch of effects that really work off the board. Let's say, for example, uh, Courtney Penrose, you know, he, either of them, he gets to heal D3 plus two. And I just go, okay, Peter on the spot you didn't pick and then still pick a spot. You know, he has ways around a lot of different uh, effects in this game and the, uh, the ability to um, deny zones. I'm going to throw it out there that I, you know, and this is coming from, I absolutely love running it. So I'm never scared to say when something needs like to be more points, even if I like it, if it means it's what it should be. And I think Peter actually should be like five points. That's how good he is in my mind, especially, I think, I think now really because of that once per game effect he has, uh, it kind of is what, you know, the, little bit that kind of brought it over the the cusp you know has kind of pushed him into that five uh point um category for me so um i mean i would say he's easy 
in all factions across everything. Uh, well, obviously, other than the free folk, because they can't. He is in half of my list just because of how good he is. He is like, he isn't an auto-include, but he's one of the first I always look to in every single faction that can run him uh, because of how good he is. Um, what about you, uh, Justin? What are, what are your thoughts on Peter here? So this is going to sound biased, but I swear it's not just comes from genuine thing. I don't think he's a five-pointer. I think only because his ability doesn't, dictate five points and not like it it's amazing okay so i love peter i have always used peter him and varus are my most used from the last set of rules i've i think i've used peter every single game in my neutral armies this this time around uh and it's weird because i think i've only used his new ability two times it just hasn't come up i haven't had this like urgent need to use it but the change is great. Like he, he was always good. People just didn't see the value in him because I think, I think he was just overshined by people. And if you're not a neutral player, then he was just overshined by Varus. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's he was he's so good now. But that's that's with me only using his new ability like twice. He's always been so valuable to me, and I've. But at five points, it would make it kind of rough because, like I said, there's a lot of times where I just don't use his ability. And so at five points, it would feel like a kick a kick in the face. And I don't want to be kicked in the face. <laughs> um, yeah, like but, another... yeah, I do think he's fuck. He's fantastic. I mean, I'm, uh, I mean, you know, even though I throw it out there that I think he would be worth five points, um, I'm not going to be super disappointed if he stays at four. I don't think he's, like, game-breaking at four points. Uh, I'm just throwing it, I guess, almost compounding how good I think he is, is that I think he's good enough to be in the five-point. Not necessarily that I'm going to be starting some campaign to get him to be five points. Um, I just think he's Uh-oh, that good. Oh, starting a campaign. Oh, yeah. I heard it. I heard it here. <laughs> Uh, another scenario I was just thinking about that came to mind is uh, I've encountered a lot with playing against Spencer with my Greyjoys. You know, Iron Maker, if you take that wealth zone and, uh, you know, you give Iron Maker another pillage token, you know, Peter gets around that. You know, granted, you won't be able to count as controlling the uh, wealth unless you use his once-per-game ability. Uh, you'll still be able to heal you know, you'll be able to take, like, the crown and heal as a Baratheon player. You know, now you have the crown, but you still got the heal effect. Um, you know, Peter just has so much application and so many uses that I think uh, he's definitely um, undervalued, in my opinion. Yeah, um, and I think up, he's always fallen into okay. that undervalued. I think he's always been part of that undervalued thing. Uh People have seen him as undervaluable, but God, is he, he's always just helped me out a ton. Oh, yeah. And just being able to, like, you know, one of the most common things with him, but I think is still overlooked, just being able to double up on a, a zone. Granted, you know, doubling up on the, the male isn't necessarily very useful anymore unless you can really dump a bunch of cards out of your hand right away to make room um, with the five-card hand limit. But still, mm-hmm. uh, being able to double up on stuff is just amazing. You know, healing twice, 
Uh, you know, especially if you're training a more defensive position, you can do the reverse instead of like taking the wealth to use the attack and then possibly use the attack a second time. You can take the claim the the heal before your opponent's able to attack you. If you're in more of a defensive position, trying to just hold out to win the game on victory points or something, and now your opponent's like, uh, well, do I attack right now before he does something, or do I? take that wealth zone so he doesn't heal again. Like, yep. he, he just has, like, anyone that hasn't played him a lot, I would say just start running him and start thinking of the cool things he can do to really put your, you know, opponent in, like, into a mental, you know, I don't know, conundrum. Is that is that the right uh, word? <laughs> you know, a difficult position. You know, yeah, make them question and, their choices, get in their head. Exactly. Um, you know, because he gives you, I mean, granted, I know a lot of people look at him, they just go, oh, well, he just gets the effect of his own, and that's it. But that's not really it. Like, you really have to, you know, kind of use him to really understand what he's doing for you. Um, he gives you, I guess, his, his, strong, his strongest uh, asset is the fact that he gives you flexibility on the board and that might not seem like a lot but i'm telling you i mean you know i'm not like the best person you know best player in the world but i'm fairly good at the game and i'm telling you he's in like half of my list and he's just that good so next we're going to talk about is the fortune seeker he is a one point cavalry attachment which gives dauntless each time this unit passes a morale test it restores one wound and he gives them motivated by coin um I think a great a great uh, attachment. Um, granted, you're probably only going to run like one of him, um, but nonetheless, uh, you know. And just for context, I'll, I'll throw the other one in there. The Glory Seeker, also one point. He gives the Rally Cry when this unit performs a melee attack before rolling attack dice. Target one other friendly unit in long range. It restores two wounds. Now the Glory Seeker is definitely useful to run a bunch of him, in my opinion, because as we talked about that. Uh, motivated by coin, running a bunch of that is you're kind of paying, you're almost paying one point for both abilities on one, and then just paying a point for Dauntless on any additional fortune seekers you uh, purchase, especially if you're running a faction that already has motivated by coin. But uh, you know, fortune seeker in Subflademan is still amazing because even though you you just have above uh, average morale, you know that six morale on the um, Flayed men to get that Dauntless off. I mean, being able to possibly attack twice, or almost guaranteed to attack twice around with your Flayed men, whether it be because you took the attack zone or the combat zone, or if you take the, the wealth to do the motivated by coin, is super strong for one point. Now, uh, just uh, before I go into the Glory Seeker, because I know that's kind of more of your go-to of the, between the two, but what's your thoughts on both uh, attachments? So you just said it. Huh? I like this guy and him and um, I don't love Motivated by Coin, but this is one guy in Flademan is great, uh, especially because I have a card to potentially auto-pass my morale or at least give me a much better chance of passing because I can re-roll any die. Um, the Glory Seeker makes me not take this guy because I'd much rather have the option of healing in a large bubble around me every time I attack, and with Peter, and with um, 
Uh, oh my goodness, the the free attack card of the commander. We just said it earlier. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Issue commands. Thank you. <laughs> but issue <laughs> commands, like, you're getting potentially a lot of healing out of each glory seeker. And I have a fair amount been running two flayed men with glory seeker each, and it's awesome. Uh, neutrals do have a plethora of healing. They're a lot harder to kill builds in the correct way than they ever were before, and it, which is definitely weird for me. Um, so, yeah, and with Dauntless, with my morale only being a six, Dauntless has the chance of never working. So, um, I, the Glory Seeker's just better, but I like this guy a lot. Um, don't change Glory Seeker because I said that. <laughs> I really yeah, I like think, him. Uh, I think if you're going to run like a bunch of them, and by a bunch, I mean three or more, but really I think Targaryens are the only ones that are possibly going to be able to do that. But in that scenario, I would say running like one Fortune Seeker to give you that option, and then like two two or more Glory Seekers would be like, that would be my personal way to go. Because um, just having that option to kind of, met the motivated by coin, just having one of it is, is such a mental... It's essentially a flex zone that's giving them, you know, obviously between the free attack or that ability, uh, the heal from the ability itself. So, um, and uh, I guess, you know, Dauntless on the Targaryens, almost everything has a five-up morale. So, I mean, uh, you're really yeah, it's compounding. Much better. Yeah, exactly. And But even with it being that good on a Targaryen unit, I still would only suggest one. And then, a you know, the rest filled in as glory seekers. Personally, I like these guys better than I like the Coes. And that's not to say the Coes aren't amazing. The Coes are awesome. But I just, I like these abilities way more in the Targaryen faction. I think just because it kind of, um, uh, the minus to hit, there's ways to not necessarily get around it, but the fact that, you know, you can get like plus to hit or, um, you know, just have a three up to hit, but with re or three up to hit going to a four with re rolls, it's kind of ways around it. But the point I'm getting at is defensively, because you know I've mentioned on here tons of times is my favorite playstyle is running the most offensive thing I can think of, and then supplementing uh, defensiveness, whether it be through actual defense saves, uh, morale, or and or healing. Uh, and in this case, if I can run a bunch of glory seekers in my Targaryen list to really, you know, because Targaryens are super offensive, and now I have all this healing going on every time I attack. I mean, it, uh, you know, these guys are both amazing uh, attachments, especially at one point. I'm glad to see that Simon, you know, is making these one-point cavalries because I know a lot of, like, cavalry units that we had seen before, whether it be, you know, the mountain that rides... Uh, uh, or the mounted mountain, I don't know what he was called, but the the attachment version and then the blackfish attachment, both were like three points. And then we saw like the butcher come out and he was two points. And um, I think the Winterfell um, guardian, guardian. Uh, was two points when he was first revealed. Um, so I was afraid that we're just going to see two to three point Calvary attachments, but Calvary are already expensive uh, in most cases. So I'm glad to see that they're just kind of, they're trying to still fit Calvary attachments in that one point uh, 
you know, generic cavalry attachments in that one-point spectrum while keeping their abilities just good enough to be worth it, but not too good. And I think defensive uh, abilities, I think, are probably the way to go. Offensive abilities, I think, is what can kind of get out of hand with uh, with a lot of cavalry units. Um, all right, next up we have Brienne, made of Tarth, is uh, two points. She gives Stalwart and Knightly Vow after deployment. That's the big part because it was before deployment f before. Target one enemy unit when attacking charging that enemy. This unit's melee attacks gain plus one to hit, and it may reroll any charged distance dice. Uh, what do you think about uh, Brienne, Justin? She changed what she always should have been. Like they, they, I don't know if they listened or they realized, but that's what everyone said that she should have been, uh, and I really like it. <laughs> Here's the caveat. With them dropping a lot of attachments point cost, she's not worth taking. I love what she's changed <laughs> to, but she's not worth taking because other things are too much or way too much better. <laughs> so I, I took her a bunch when the, the rules first changed, and then I was like, damn it, this isn't working. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's so funny because yeah. it's definitely what she should have changed to, even at two points. But everything else got better, so now she's not worth it. Oh, it's such a shame. Yeah, I would, I don't know, maybe change change her to one point, but change to, instead of stalwart, just make up a new, like, name for an ability where it just increases morale by one. Because um, I could understand how she, well, I mean, I could almost even still see her as one point, you know, because you're only targeting with Knightly Vow one enemy and only against that one enemy do you get plus one to hit and reroll charge distance so even if you don't get the charge all you're getting is that plus one to hit against one unit and then you got stalwart so now the more i talk about it the more i think that she could easily be justified as one one point then again with that said i would be having a field day if she was one point because uh you know, I have a tunnel of Greyjoys where I'll run uh, Balon in a unit as commander because he gives plus one morale and minus one damage. And then I run Asha for one point, making whatever unit she's in a five, an auto five morale. And then I'll run two points to run Carl to give Stalwart an expert duelist to another unit. And then he has acceptable sacrifices as a card, which attaches and then makes... Uh, the unit it's on take one additional damage when they fail panic, but everyone in long of that unit gets plus one to their morale. And if you made Brienne one point, I mean, I'd have a Greyjoy army that was just like five four-up morale across the board. <laughs> That'd be super annoying. <laughs> yeah, There's already so uh, many counters to morale damage for me, so I would just be super bummed. <laughs> so maybe that's why. Maybe it's just because Stalwart is just so good um, in certain factions that it's one of those, another one of those scenarios where neutrals kind of get screwed a bit because of the potential they have with others. And I can, I think that kind of goes back to our um, conversation we've had before: is that neutrals need some army-wide buff 
that only you only get if you're 100% neutral. And I would even go as further. I would even go be willing to go further to say if all of your units are of the same house. So like you could still run, let's say, uh, bloody mum or skirmishers, but then if you run uh, a roost in there to make them house Bolton, it would still fall under that uh, category. But um, just something that would uh, you know give you a buff, and it could be even a house buff. So like let's say if your army consists of all house Bolton, you get this. If your army consists of all Stormcrow mercenaries, you get this. That way they can even make the effects different while keeping to the theme. You know, for uh, for Bloody Mummers, it could be like everything gets plus one move. Um, for Boltons, it could be, I don't know, um, whenever you deal damage, you get something. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying, like, I think something like that would really drive home, you know, wanting to run neutrals. Because neutrals, you know, if if you want them to be a faction, it shouldn't be like a secondary thought. It should be, okay, let's go full on into this and try to really make it. Because um, I know you've kind of learned to just live with it. Uh, and it does suck sometimes when, you know, when it comes up. But I think like where it really sucks is the new player that they, they look at this neutral faction and they go, that's awesome. And then they play it and then they get disappointed with the fact that they're, other than the tactics deck, there's, and the ability to run 40 or, you know, more than 20 points of neutrals, that's all neutrals have going for them. Um, and I think other factions, you know, easily out outweigh that advantage simply by unit selection, let alone what uh what else that they can do yeah and i mean yeah i live with it but it it's they're by far the least played faction right uh they have been since pretty much the beginning from what i can tell and there's a few diehards myself included that stick to them but yeah they've always it's always a struggle i mean it's really rewarding when you do well with them because you know you're it's an uphill battle but um they're really unique, I feel, with the way that they're designed. Uh, their units are awesome. So it would be great if they just kind of dove headfirst into making neutrals as coherent of a faction as the rest of them. Because right now it's like three distinct sub-factions that don't work well together like at all. With the exception of Skirmishers yep. and Ramsey. And I think, uh, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, like how Free Folk have the, you know, card, you know, uh, no coin beyond the wall. It could be as simple as something like that, like just, you know, uh, releasing the card packs or maybe not this and then one coming up because they're probably already packaged and ready. But the ones after that, they could just simply come with a card that says, um, you know, loyalty uh, Bolton or whatever, I don't know, call it something. And then it could be like, if your entire faction has the key, if every unit in your faction has the keyword Bolton, you get this effect. You know, it could be something, they wouldn't even have to like change almost anything, and people would just know that it's a rule in the same way that people just know that free folk can't run neutral things. Or at least, you know, 99.9% of the players know that. Yeah, but but that's 
said, we can move on. Um, next up, we have the Storm Crow Lieutenant. He is one point. He has improved armaments while you control the uh, wealth. This unit's melee attacks gain sundering and roll their highest attack dive value. Uh, I think this guy is amazing. I think what they changed him to is perfect. Uh, you know, because before I think he was um, all uh, melee and ranged, and it was uh, sundering and plus one attack die. Um, I think with the fact that they wanted to reduce dice, uh, this was a perfect uh, way to do it while still keeping them almost just as potent. Now, granted, uh, some of the crazier combos have been reduced with the fact that you can't use it on range anymore because uh, um, I think, as you know, more than probably almost anyone, him in Bastard Scrolls was just crazy. <laughs> Heck, yeah. Overall, I think he's awesome. Um, I think he's just decent in... Um, Neutrals, you no longer really want the wealth as a neutral player. I mean, you do, but it's it's kind of a secondary thought now. That it's tied to you units, not the... cards. Exactly. So um, I think where this guy really shines, and I do it all the time in so many different builds, is Baratheons. Uh, because of Alistair, and you run Alistair and uh, Peter, unless they have some, like, outlier ability, you're guaranteed the wealth every single round of the entire game. Um, it, I mean, you might have, like, an action or two, like, a turn or two within the round where you have to set up for it to happen, but um, you're guaranteed it one way or the other. And being able to guarantee that, you know, if you run a bunch of this guy, which I do, you know, this guy in Wardens, six-point unit, and always attacking with six dice, sitting on fours, but with sundering, is awesome. You know, that it basically turns the unit's profile to, like, 777 or 666. Um, or, you know, I don't think anyone has... I think it's all pretty much sevens and sixes for your highest attack die. But, yeah, this guy's awesome. All Overall, all-around uh, awesome uh, attachment. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... Uh, you said it all, right? Like he's okay in my faction. I consider <laughs> running him a pretty good amount. I just don't get around to it. Mostly, yeah. I guess the reason I don't use him much anymore is simply because I don't have a point. I never have a point to spend or two points. I always have like four <laughs> points to spend. I'm like, what the heck do I do with four points? And it, <laughs> it's a struggle. Um, I would probably toss this dude in like, yeah, well. Mm, I would use them in cutthroats, but cutthroats don't lose that many dice at their first rank lost. <laughs> they lose one. So often it doesn't, I don't know, maybe it still matters. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, he's just, he's so good in other factions. He's not great in mine. But then again, he's the only usable attachment that's not named for Stormcrows, in my opinion. I don't think my other two are remotely usable in a unit that doesn't have Vicious. <laughs> so nah, he's good he's definitely they accomplish their goal of reducing the die uh, and Bastard Girls gotta abuse the crap out of this guy but so much so that I basically stopped using Braun entirely <laughs> yeah well, especially yeah, when Braun was two you know two points whereas you could run two lieutenants or one Braun it was just like uh, almost a no brainer 
So, yep. All right. Next up, we you. have. Let's see. We have uh, Jack and Hagar, unnamed. He's a one-point attachment, which gives the order taking a new name. Start of a friendly turn. Destroy this model and replace it with one destroyed infantry attachment. Gains the order taking a new name. It counts as already having been used this round. So. Uh, I think Seaman did an awesome job here. This is one of the only answers, in my opinion, to uh, expert duelist, you know, for your commander at the moment. So I have tried working him in. Uh, you know, in a two-list format, it's a lot easier because then I go, okay, the second list um, – has almost no attachments, but I run Jack in just in case. And then if if my commander does get sniped, Jack in is sitting in a unit that's meant to just sit on an objective off out, you know, to not fight anything as, you know, just like a little backup. Um, and I think that's mostly what he's meant for, in my opinion. He has a lot of potential to take other attachments, but you're really kind of – um, banking on you know certain things happening. So uh, the nice thing though um, that a lot of people don't realize is that he can keep changing into different attachments all game, um, or not all game, but you know once per round he can change into a new attachment, and it could be any attachment that's ever died in the course of the entire game that you've been playing. So and now that he's one point, because I believe before he was two points, I can't remember. Um, it just sucks. I don't have a lot of the old stuff because, you know, with the new app uh, being updated, you only see the current stuff. But I just remember before that it was very unlikely you would ever get his points worth uh, back uh, unless something died really quickly. But now I think uh, he's he's definitely a great investment. What do you think, Justin? Uh, yeah, I, so I like this guy specifically because he's, I don't know if hard to use is the right word, but that's pretty much what I'm going at here. Um, he's tricky to plan, only because you're basically planning on losing valuable stuff. But he's such an amazing counter to certain things. Like in a tournament, he may just see, like two-list format tournaments, he may see a lot of use in neutrals and any very commander-heavy list where you're really relying on your commander to do stuff. Uh, but even if your commander doesn't die, you know, he takes other uh, other abilities. There's one question I had with him. Uh, I assume if he were to take Brienne, you wouldn't get the ability of targeting a unit because that happens at the beginning. Of, well, I guess if the same unit's not dead, maybe it works. I don't know. Kind of interesting. Um, I think it's a new attachment for all like intents and purposes. So I think you would just not get her. Uh, yeah, her first vowel because yeah, that, that's kind of what I assume too. But either way, like um, it's it gives you a lot of flexibility, and I would really like to see and feel like it's probably slowly happening. But this is a there. This is a a rule set that's trying to heavily reward flexibility. Yeah, and I think uh, I think yeah, he'll have a, a lot of place in a lot of lists. I think the more you someone will use him, the more they'll they'll like him. Um, it's one of those that 
Uh, you look at him at face value on paper, he just seems okay, but not good enough that you want to spend that point because, you know, now that so many things are great for one point, you just, you know, you ask yourself, do, do I want to invest that one point in something that might not ever have any value in the game? But really where his value comes in is that backup, just that insurance. Anyone that has not played him, you know, he's a neutral unit. So, you know, all this stuff we're talking about, it will apply to any of the factions that you're playing other than, sorry, free folk. But um, it, it, you know, I would highly recommend anyone that has not used him or maybe only gave him one try, you know, just throw him in there. One point is, you know, in a casual game is not a whole lot. So um, next up we have Dario Naharis. He's also one point. He has Reckless Strikes. This unit's melee attack gains Critical Blow and Precision. For each attack die roll of one, this unit suffers one wound. So uh, remember when I told you to try him out in Bastard's Girls? Uh, how'd that go? <laughs> uh, really well the first time, and it continues to go really well, but I'm getting, like, <laughs> it's weird. I'm getting, like, less value out of him the more I use him just because... I think I'm being too reckless with him. <laughs> I'm expecting too much because the first time I used him, he just made everything explode that he touched. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's super good for one point in basically anything you can think of. Yeah, I definitely agree. He, uh, you know, as long as your unit is semi-offensive, He's amazing. Like, I wouldn't ever put him in some defensive units, but you could make the argument that he could still be amazing in there if, you know, for one point you want, you know, maybe it's something that kind of self-heals. Uh, like, it would be interesting to put him in, um, well, I was about to say uh, poor fellows, but poor fellows already have precision. Um, I don't know. Just think of something that, like, can heal itself or heals a lot Uh one unit I love putting them in is uh, Greyjoy uh, Reavers. You know, being able to start the game with critical blow, precision, and sundering, and then, you know, if you Iron Maker a uh, pillage token onto him right away, hitting on threes, um, I mean, <laughs> you turn that unit into just something super scary. Uh, and, you know, if you get them hitting on twos, I mean, granted, you're only ever taking wounds if you roll ones, so it's not like you can negate that effect. But now you're guaranteeing either, okay, you're taking hits or I'm taking hits. And if you're banking on sixes and you have rerolls uh, from a charge or something, I mean, just go, okay, anything that's uh, not a six, I'm just going to reroll it because I have just as much of a chance of getting a six as I do a one. So, um, so yeah, it. He's can be really ridiculous in certain uh, factions. I think in neutrals, again, they kind of get the short end of the stick because uh, really I think the only thing that makes him a little nutty is the Bastard Scrolls. Um, he's a good choice for Stormcrow mercenaries. Yeah, he he definitely is uh, one of the things that can really make those mercenaries uh, start hitting like above their weight class because, you know, there's still only a five-point unit with him since he becomes free. But, uh, you know, it's 
he's definitely something I think a lot of people are, you know, I look at a lot of lists and I never see him. So I think he's kind of a sleeper at the moment. I don't know if like the top competitive lists are running him a lot. I just know like a lot of people that have been posting in all the different Facebook faction groups when they post lists, I almost never see him and I'm surprised because he is so strong for one point. Absolutely. All right. Next, next up and last attachment we have is Braun. Braun is one point now. He has loyalty through coin, which is the while you control the wealth, you get plus one defense and plus one morale. And then he has the motivated by coin. Each time a friendly MCU comes on, replace it and get a free attack to Braun's unit. So, um, I think Braun is amazing. Uh, I know that motivated by coin can be uh, redundant. But let's say you're not running any Stormcrow units, uh, you know, or any mercenaries or uh, um, dervishes. Uh, again, I'll, I'll mention it that if you only have one motivated by coin, that effect is so strong. Um, I mean, granted, you know, if you have a bunch of them, any one instance of it is so strong. But then you, it makes all the other ones devalued. But anyways, Bron. And even in neutrals is amazing, but I would say Braun and any any uh, non-free folk faction uh, will make him, you know, make really good use of him. My absolute favorite use of him is uh, Baratheon Sentinels. You put him in there, and now this really offensive unit for uh, six points is being able to attack twice and has a three-up, five-up for their defense and morale which is really defensive. And that's kind of a lot of people's complaints of the Sentinels is that they seem to just kind of die too quickly. Braun is the perfect, I know it makes them seven points, but I think Braun in Sentinels at seven points is way more valuable than a Kingsman or a Queensman at seven points. Um, I just, I absolutely love what they did with Braun, you know, two points. He was still amazing at two points before uh, and he did so much stuff, but now in my opinion, I like him way better as he is uh, because he's one point. It has a lot to do with it. But what about you, Justin? Uh, I really like loyalty through coin. Any type of like stat buff thing, I'm all about. I used him a lot in the beginning. The only reason I haven't been using him lately is just because points are hard to come by for me sometimes. And I'm a sucker for Bastard Girls with Dario in it now, so it's, it's a struggle. But, uh, no, he's great. Um, the one thing that sucks is he's inefficient to bring point-wise in Stormcrow Mercenaries. He would be a very good option for them if you weren't getting a redundant ability, literally. Um, but, well, and Dervishes, too. He'd be fantastic in Dervishes as well. So that's a bit of a bummer but he works really well in neutrals. I've had good effect with him in even cutthroats, honestly, making them a 4-6 defense with that extra attack is pretty useful, especially if your opponent's still not, uh, like you charge them, they haven't activated, they still haven't activated, and then you get to attack again with another vulnerable, another re-rolls and all that stuff. It's pretty, pretty useful. Oh, putting them in black yeah, are a trap, though. I'll say that. They don't need more defense. <laughs> they don't die. Nobody attacks them. They're great. I love Blackguard now, but they don't die because no one's going to try to kill them because they're just going to hurt themselves too much. It's a trap. It looks obvious. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, and that free attack with no like other 
attack buff to that black guard is not really worth it being a free attack. Um, exactly. And uh, and like you were saying, you know, throwing him in black guard is like trying to throw a uh, Mormont vet in some sworn shields. You know, they become so they were already a unit that a uh, opponent was reluctant to attack. You now make them so undesirable to even engage that they just become a huge point investment for a unit that's just going to sit on an objective. Um, the amount of time and energy your opponent will spend attacking that unit, they'll just let you have your point, and now it'll be you soaking up one point on this objective all game while your opponent focuses the rest of their army to fight the rest of your army minus that unit. Exactly. And the, even with, like I said, even with that extra free attack uh, from the motivated by coin, they won't do enough damage for you to really care about that, you know, investing seven points to do that. All right. Uh, so last up, we have three commanders because Ramsey was already uh, discussed. They showed his cards um, technically, they showed Roos's commander, but not his card, so we will still go over him. First commander, though, we'll talk about is Dario Naharis, Stormcrow Captain. We did kind of talk about him in the Targaryen uh, show just because the Dario Naharis for Targaryens is literally the same card for card. It's just that the Targaryen version gets an extra card. So basically... Once again, making the... I mean, granted, the neutrals do have the deck that, like, has a bunch of things that revolve around the commander, but um, overall, I still think that the Daro Naharis in Targaryens is way better than the neutral Daro Naharis. With that said, he gives the affiliation Stormcrow to the unit he's in. He gives improved armaments. That's the... Um, Highest attack die in Sundering if control the wealth and motivated by coin replaced to get a free attack. Um, first card is Cell Sword Negotiations. When a friendly NCU claims its own, replace its own's effect with until the end of the round. You count as controlling the wealth. Restore two wounds to one friendly unit. If this unit is a Stormcrow unit, restore plus one wound for each of the defenders or uh, each of that unit's destroyed ranks. Next one is Cell Sword Bravado, start of a friendly turn. Target one friendly combat unit. That unit performs one morale test. If it's a Stormcrow unit, it gains plus two to its roll. On a success, target one enemy in long range. It becomes panicked and weakened. And the last one is Reckless Strikes. Um, when a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, this attack gains critical blow and precision. The attacker suffers one wound for each roll of a one. If this targets a Stormcrow unit, it attacks at its highest value. So, uh, overall, he's, as in the neutral faction, he's not all that great. Um, that's just because he, just the lack of options, to be totally honest. Um, you know, Cell Sword Bravado's nice. It, it's basically War Cry, but with the ability to get plus two if it's a Stormcrow, and uh, instead of vulnerable, it's a weakened token. Uh, See, negotiations, I think it's my favorite card for him, just because if you're wanting to run a lot of Stormcrow units, counting is controlling that wealth. It can be huge, especially if you run Peter. That's three rounds if you get both of these that you can count as controlling the wealth without actually being on the wealth. And then on the turns where you go first, you can always take the wealth with Peter and target a different zone if you need to. Um, 
And then the rest, the reckless strikes is literally just his one point attachment in card form. The highest attack die value part is nice, but it, it devalues wanting to play this card early uh, when you already have highest attack die, or if you are running a bunch of Stormcrow Lieutenants and already always get highest attack die. I would have much rather this been like your, the opponent, because if it's Stormcrow unit, the defender is like vulnerable or something. Um, but, uh, I mean, his, his uh, attachment, those abilities, uh, improve armament, motivated by coin, are amazing. Just not all that amazing on neutral units. Um, well, actually, I, I find a lot of value when I'm looking at it. Like, m- putting him in Bastard's Girls is not a bad idea in the slightest. Like, he actually really shines making them a Stormcrow, so they benefit, and then free attack on them. You're never going to complain about that. And you're not really getting highest attack die, but you're getting Sundering, which has always been very nice on them. Yep. Yeah, and I guess you could give them, you know, you could have them Bastard Girls possibly get a free attack with the uh, with the motivated by coin. You could play start of the turn. You could throw a panicked and weakened, and then the Bastard Girls uh, the shot will make them vulnerable. And then you could play Reckless Strikes if you have it. And then now you have Sundering, Critical Blow, and Precision, uh, and you know highest attack die automatically because of both the card and the improved ornaments. Um, you know, not I could to mention, see some... Sorry to interrupt, but not to mention issue orders. Even though he's your commander unit, you can use the second part of the card since you're getting all these free attacks all of a sudden. You can use that second part of the card to reissue their order and you can get free attacks and charges. Now, with that said, I think... Uh, I think best girls are so good that you could really make an argument that almost any commander in them will be amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, but, I mean that's it's true. I I guess I was just pointing out like that's yeah. the only unit that he's probably good in. Honestly, he's not good in any Stormcrow unit because two of them you're just wasting an ability, and then putting him in archers is not really where you want your neutral commander to be. Well, you're kind of wasting arm. Improved ornaments if you do that. Yeah, totally, 100%. Uh, Seltzer Bravado, or I mean, Seltzer Negotiations, super cool card, actually. I, I totally dig it. Uh, Seltzer Bravado sucks. I'm sorry. Like, those are the tokens I don't necessarily want with Stormcrows. Uh, vulnerable is what I want. I, I kind of like the weekend, but Panic is Panic is bad in Stormcrows. That is the worst card or the worst of the three tokens for them. Uh, and with all your morales being sevens, even at plus two, there's a good chance you're failing that. <laughs> Which I would say a good chance. Sad. It's, ah, there's it's a good not chance auto. I'd fail it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a different story. Reckless Strikes is pretty decent, too, but he's it's funny because he's got a one-point attachment that does it, and you're like, mm, I kind of like that better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's He would is what I would say is my least favorite of the four options. Um, and we can go on to the next one, which is my second least favorite. So third out of the four, uh, which is Vargo Hote. He is, has the order threaten. When this unit activates, target one enemy in long range, they become weakened. Affiliation, 
bloody mumbers. This unit is a bloody mumber unit and sadistic mutilation. After this unit completes a melee attack, you may expend one weakened token from the defender. If you do, destroy one infantry attachment in that unit. His first ability or first text card is the Crippler's Infamy. Enemy is performing a panic test before rolling dice. If that enemy fails the panic test, you expend one weakened token from them. If you do, they suffer plus two wounds. If that enemy is engaged with the Bloody Mummer unit, they suffer minus two to the panic test roll. Careless aggression, start of any round. Target one combat unit that performs one attack action. After completing that attack, your opponent may activate one NCU. And exploit weakness. When a friendly unit is performing an attack before rolling attack dice, you may expend one weakened token from the defender. If you do, they become panicked and vulnerable, and if the attacker is bloody mummer, it may re-roll any attack dice. Now, uh, I think his cards are where he is kind of weak. Um, he's not like horrible by any means. I just, I've run him actually like four times now. And every time I just feel disappointed in the way his cards for, perform, especially now that, uh, Zorus riders are less than desirable to take before when it was like, when they were like really good at seven points and I was running like two of them and a bunch of the, I was, I was running Vargo in, I I think for points, uh, because of point costs, I was running him in some uh, cutthroats uh, so that I could run, like, two Zorse Riders and two Skirmishers. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's where I think he kind of has some saving grace is that his attachment is so good. Um, if you're looking to snipe an attachment, it's better... Uh, than expert duelist, but it's a worse than expert duelist in the sense that it um, it still doesn't work on uh, cavalry, which means whereas expert duelist doesn't either, it has the option to just poke a cavalry unit for one auto wound, whereas Vargo has no other option for that auto wound. So literally, if it's not an infantry and they don't have an attachment, his effect is doing nothing. But it's better at killing attachments in the sense that it's almost auto-guaranteed because you activate, make the unit you're engaged with weakened or the unit you're about to charge weakened, and then as long as they have no way to turn, uh, take that weakened off between that point and the end of your attack, that attachment's dead. Um, so in a way, it's way worse than Expert Duelist in the sense of uh, um, a feels bad. So, overall, I guess what I'm getting at is that I don't like the ability, even though I'm going to say that I admit that it's very strong uh, and very good competitively. I just think that, you know, attachment's auto-dead, and, <laughs> you know, he's the crippler. So, or, I mean, that's not his name, because I think that's his attachment uh, subname or whatever, but he's known as the Crippler, so or the Goat of Heron Hall, whatever his title you want to use. You know, it should be. I've some heard some people talk about that it should be more like uh, target an attachment, and that attachment loses all abilities for the turn or the round or until that. I don't know something, uh, and that could be the way like he's crippling you. You know, he's. You know, it's more of like an amputation than it is a straight-up assassination. Um, what do you think, uh, Justin? Have you had a chance to play him? I know you played against him once with me, but um, what do you think of him? 
So I don't think his weakness is actually his cards. Well, first, I want to apologize about yawning into my microphone. I totally thought that it was muted. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> um, so I don't think his weakness is his cards. I actually generally like his cards. Replacing a weakened token with Panicked and Vulnerable is super – or and rerolls is a very efficient card. Careless Aggression, I actually love that card. I think a lot of people see it as, well, your enemy can just activate two NCUs in a row. Yeah, but it doesn't give them any more activations. So technically, you can then start out activating them if they choose to do this, if you play it right, that round. Because you'll have maybe two activations at the end. So maybe you can make them fall into your own trap, and you're getting a free attack action at the beginning of the round. Like, There's a lot of value in that card. And I mean, Crippler's Infamy the possibility of it not working but it's really powerful should it work you can do five wounds or if you have flayed men i know you're not going to get the minus two to the panic test but if they can still fail you can do six wounds to them that's that's a lot of wounds nobody's happy about that and like you said <laughs> his attachment's very strong so i think where he's not strong is just like storm crows Bloody Mummers as an army aren't doing anything. You have two... Well, okay, so you have one very easy-to-kill horse, and then you have a weirdly more defensive than it looks uh, infantry, but that infantry is not dangerous. If you brought all skirmishers and, like, one or two Zorse Riders, your opponent would kill the Zorses and just ignore the skirmishers completely. Like, seven dice hitting on fours is not even remotely concerning across the army. And then six dice hitting on threes on a really squishy cab. Like the only scary part is whoever you decide to put Vargo in. So your commander would be targeted like it's going out of style, um, which is not good for neutrals. So it's unfortunately his two units. So I also do believe eventually there'll be a third bloody mummer unit just because only having two units in a major sub-faction in the neutral faction, which really works off of its sub-factions, is limiting. So I, I suspect someday there'll be a third unit. I would love to see named skirmishers, like the next attachment box, one if it's just like a bunch of named skirmish or named bloody mummers, because there's a lot of unique bl bloody mummers in the books. They're just this motley crew of idiots. There's there's a jester, a weird, creepy priest. There's a Dothraki. They're just all <laughs> over the place with what they are. They're just anything and everything you can think of. And so they can, they can do named ones. They can do generic ones. But it could easily just be a neutral attachment box three or a neutral attachment box, I'm sorry, um, or whatever it's called, generic attachments. Uh, and that would be really cool. And there could, they could have, like, a named, like, unique unit for Vargo or something, like his, like, like main dudes or something. I don't know. Um, but he struggles because an all-mummer list is just not dangerous in the slightest. Yeah, that's. I think that's an important thing to bring up is that we never, we don't even know what else they have in store for the mummers. It would be nice if, you know, I'm sure Boltons are probably done. Uh, maybe they might get uh, some more attachments, but as far as units, I'm pretty sure they're done. But it would be nice to see Stormcrows get one more and uh, um, Bloody Mummers get two more. Just make it a rule of thumb that at least for neutrals, the sub-factions get like four units each. Um, 
whereas maybe the sub-factions in other factions get three of each, you know, like three Tully, three uh, Clegane and whatnot. Um, but I think for neutrals, I think having four is important to really helping like, keep the identity of these sub-factions more so than other, other sub-factions and other, you know, uh, like Starks or whatnot. But I would say Keros Aggression can be super useful and super good. I think it's the where it is weaker is just the application and the scenario. You really in a lot of scenarios I've run into with this card is it's like I can't afford letting my opponent go with two NCUs uh, before I get to do anything because a lot of times my first action I want to be uh, that free attack on the combat zone to not only get the attack, but to deny the attack from my opponent. Whereas even though this gives me a free attack in itself, it doesn't let me deny an attack unless that free attack is going to kill a unit. So I think it, it really just comes down to uh, what's going on on the battlefield. This card can either be game-changing or there's going to be like, well, I really don't want to play it because it's going to do me more harm than good. So here's... Um, uh with that though here's like a scenario where it's just like mind-blowingly good you use it as a free attack so you're you have priority use it as a free attack faster girl shoot charge murder something not too hard to do and then when it's your activation you play issue orders remove their order token shoot charge something else possibly kill it you've just killed two units and all your opponent was able to do was take a board spot which what could they do? Depending on what options, maybe they shoot the Bastard Girls, but you're probably still getting uh, a free attack. Maybe they turn to face them before they get flank charged. Um, it's unlikely they're getting out of range of Bastard Girls if they're already in the flank of one of the, or like in someone else's face. Um, and maybe that'll open them up to you getting a different unit where you want them instead. I think with the application of Bastard Girls, this card, even with an NCU activating, is incredibly powerful with the combos and neutrals. And I think, you know, the more I read this card, um, you know, one other scenario that could be really useful is, uh, let's say, again, you let your opponent go first, first round, and you go first, second round, and you have a ranged unit, and, like, they don't, or they don't have one that's in range, you can start the round free attack, before anything's like engaged, shoot with a unit, and now your opponent can activate an NCU, but do they want to? Like nothing's and if they engaged, do, nothing's going on. Exactly, and if they do, like, are they just denying you the free attack and getting nothing out of it? I'll take that trade any day. If yeah, they're just so wasting their maybe... NCU to just deny a spot and not get the benefit of the spot, you do you, boo. Yep. Uh, it's good with me. And so I think maybe running like a, uh, like you said, even Bastard Girls or even Stormcrow uh, Archers uh, might be key for this card because it's not limited to melee attacks. So mm -hmm. I think uh, with that, you really just have to create uh, really focused lists around Vargo. You really have to get a lot of games with him. Um, so far, maybe I'll try to go back to the drawing board with him. So far, I haven't really been super impressed, but... Uh, but like I said, I'll go back to the drawing board and, and really try to drive home some, some good lists with Vargo here. All right, last up we have 
Roos Bolton, the Leech Lord. He has Order Spread Fear. When an enemy engaged with this unit fails a panic test, target one other enemy in long range of this unit. It suffers one panic test, with minus one to their roll for each remaining rank in this unit. On a failure, it suffers plus one wound. He has the affiliation House Bolton. This unit is a House Bolton unit. And Intimidating Presence. Enemies engaged with the unit, this unit suffer minus one to morale test rolls and plus one wound when failing panic tests. His first card is a Flademan has no secrets. When a unit is con- when a unit is targeted by an ability or taxes card, you may expend one condition token from an enemy in long of that unit. If you do, cancel the effect of that ability or tactics card. Next card is Fear Keeps a Man Alive. When an enemy fails panic test, target any number of friendly house Bolton units in long range. For each wound caused by this panic test, restore that many wounds total across these units. And then last one is Whispered Threats. Um, when an enemy NCU activates, if this NCU claims a zone this turn, after resolving that zone's effect, one enemy becomes vulnerable, and then another enemy, which could be the same one, uh, becomes panicked. Now, I know this is like a go-to guy, Justin, so I'm going to let you take away with, uh, with what you think about him. It's funny that he's my go-to guy, because Ramsey used to be, because I just valued it. Sorry, his extremely just offensive and in-your-face cards more. Uh, this guy's my go-to after a lot of practice between him and Ramsey. I think he's just more valuable. Mostly, like, Ramsey's got good cards, but Ramsey's attachment is where it's the biggest difference. Reese's attachment's fantastic. I've been using him in Blackguard, but I think I'm over that because they just completely get ignored. I think I'm going to start putting him <laughs> in a squishier, more aggressive unit. I'm sorry to say I'm a bastard, girls. I know that's my answer to everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I'm going to start putting him in there because they're very aggressive, as we know. They're not the squishiest thing, but they're not defensive, per se. That five-up morale goes a long ways. But this makes your opponent second-guess or at least take some damage potentially a lot of damage when they attack you back, which there's there's very few scenarios where you see bastard girls on the field and you're like, I don't want to attack them. No, you absolutely want to attack them. That's like your only choice half the time. You want to murder bastard <laughs> girls. And this will at least punish people for trying to hurt my bastard girls, which they will hurt, but now they I could be potentially trading more wounds that they take attacking me than I take period, between spread fear and, or yeah, no, it's just spread fear, so it's not horrific visage. Um, Yeah, I got that mixed up, sorry. Ramsey, I was thinking of putting in them. So now instead, their vicious is playing off spread fear. Sorry, that's what I was going with. So it just makes them even more dangerous, which is uh, great. Uh, His cards are super good. Um, They're a little trickier than I think I expected not trickier to use because they're not that complicated. I guess the one that turns off an ability, you got to just practice with that, knowing when you want to turn what off. It's very situational, but it's very powerful. I have used it to stop Expert Duelist from murdering me because I'm so glad that I play the faction that revolves completely around its commander, and there's an ability on a three-up to kill my commander. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I've used this to protect him for a turn or two. But God, Expert Duelist is stupid. Uh, Fear Case Man Alive, simple, great. I love it, cool. I heal when I do damage. Um, and then Whispered Threats helps me get the tokens out. It kind of sucks, though. If I don't draw these cards, 
I'm in a sticky situation. I have found that tokens are harder to get out, and I do need them for things. So um, it all just depends on how things roll out. But no, Roost is, Roost is nothing to shirk at. He's fantastic in a lot of things. Spread Fear is a very strong ability now. Um, just bastard girls shoot charging into something and doing, you know, however many wounds they're doing, and then something else is taking a bunch of wounds too from Panic probably because they're at a minus three. It's pretty sweet. I'm not going to complain about it. Now, and uh, to go back to what you mentioned at the beginning of the show, when you say uh, like three and a half NCUs, you're referring to because you run Roost so much that you can't run Roost NCU? Uh, so that or Varus is not used as much as I would like to use him because the five points is hard to build a list around. Yeah. So it's so both like, of the two. I, I don't think I've actually used Roost as an NCU yet. Because uh, I'm really trying not to use 3NCUs. I've never liked the 3NCU meta. I really want to make lists that are good with 2. And then when I bring 3NCUs, I'm definitely almost always using Roost as my commander. Because showing you know, the fact that you only have, I think, like 6 to choose from. If you run Roost, then you only have 5 to choose from. Tycho, or not Tycho, um, Jacken not really being worth it in neutrals leaves you with like four uh walder in my opinion is very iffy uh so that that's very scenario based and really you want like a two list format to even consider him in most scenarios so that leaves you down to like three options or whatever so you got what tycho little finger and uh varus so yeah. i think more often than not my ncus almost always end up being uh tycho and little finger for neutrals almost um, every game I've, yeah I've almost I've considered Roos if I'm not running Roos, but I just like Littlefinger obviously is like the go to, especially in neutrals. And then Tycho I just like that healing, especially on like some flayed men. But uh important thing to note about the you know, Roos, uh I would probably would agree that he's the number one easily the best commander in neutrals. But fear command if he keeps a man alive no, not that one. Um a Flayed Men has no secrets. Important thing to note is it's just when a unit is targeted by an ability or tactics card. So it could be your unit, their unit. Uh, that whole scenario of, oh, well, is this targeting my unit or is it targeting your, like, is the uh, ability targeting mine or yours? And that doesn't even matter here. Um, you could just go, oh, okay, well, if it's not targeting me, I'll just say it's targeting, I'll just target you, you know, and then choose that ability not to be the only thing that really matters here is that whatever unit that is being the target is within long range of an enemy with a condition token. So this card is super flexible. But like you were saying, you need those tokens um, and uh, Whispered Threats is awesome, I think. Uh, you know, it's not... It, it has one less token than um, Will of the One True King. Will of the One True King requires the crown to be replaced. Um this one is simply an enemy taking any zone, and you get two tokens. So, uh, amazing card. Um, and then Fear Keeps a Man Alive, great card. Uh, only heals a little bit, usually, but um, anything, you know, helps. And it's after a filled panic. It's not like when a unit dies or something. And in a Bolton faction, if you're not uh, making them feel panics, then you're probably not doing so great. <laughs> yeah, you've, you're losing. <laughs> so this card not going off 
it doesn't matter at that point. The, those couple extra wounds is not going to mean much if they're not failing any panic tests. Um, but overall, I think, yeah, Roos is an amazing uh, commander. Like you were saying, him and Blackguard is like a go-to. But I would even go off to say that him and Cutthroats um, isn't like something that you can just charge forward. But if you just wanted to put him in Cutthroats and sit in on an objective and just sit there the whole game, and then if something is ballsy enough to get through everything else you have throwing at them to try to come to Roost, and you can get that charge off. It, like, let's say they have to get close enough to you, but then you just leave your objective and go charge them, and you can have seven dice hitting on fours with three rolls. They become vulnerable, and you have that intimidating presence. You could really put a dent in someone. Um, so I think uh, that could be an option too. You know, you you go, okay, I'm only investing five points to sit on an objective, and if he wants, if someone wants to come at me, you know, I'm I'm offensive enough that I can uh, more often than not handle handle myself. Uh, now, granted, if they throw something big at you, you're probably going to have to detour with your flayed men or something and try to intercept that unit. But, you know, just a whatever unit trying to come after Roos and Cutthroats probably won't be able to, uh, you know, do all that great if you can get the jump on them. All right, with that said, uh, that kind of closes out. We were able to barely finish everything but all one episode, so from here on out we'll be able to start to talk about a lot of the topics that we've been wanting to talk about but we just really wanted to finish the series it was a long road i'm super excited that we were able to get through it um i know other content creators have briefly talked about a lot of the changes and kind of done some quick stuff but i think we're the only ones out there that deep dived into every single unit ncu attachment um commander all the cards everything possible and, you know, I'm, I'm super glad that's out there uh, for everyone to kind of look through and catalog. Now, granted, we do have to redo one of the free folk shows, which we'll, me and uh, Brett will be doing soon. But, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. And uh, I want to thank you, Justin, for coming on. And, uh, you know, finally we talked about the neutrals. I know they're the last ones, but... <laughs> I've been enjoying playing them. Uh, I've always loved neutrals. I really encourage people to try them. It's... It's a unique faction. It definitely plays much different than most people are used to. It used to play a lot different than everyone else. Now it shares some similarities, but it's a great faction. Yeah, and I know like some of the Wednesdays where you're unable to make it, I usually try. I, I'm pretty sure most of the, most of the time when you're when you're you know uh, unable to make it, you know I I usually pull out neutrals at least for one game and they're definitely fun and they have a lot of strength to them you know it, anyone that's hesitant about playing them because they do have a lot of limited options i would just say practice with them because once you kind of have them down they have they have a really strong uh play style to them um but yeah with that said again i want to thank you all for listening in um and you know kind of listening through this uh this series um, but you know, keep an eye out for our next episode where we'll discuss uh, some of the new new stuff uh, going on with Ice and Fire. Uh, you know, that wraps everything up. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. 
source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 